welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host Jillian Parker. Hi, everyone. Hi, Quinn. Hey, Jillian. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, finals season is finals season is approaching us, so I'm a little a little worried, but I think we'll pull through. What about you? Yeah, I really I have one assignment left. And then I'm just doing my final papers. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is pretty cool. That's good. You'll finish relatively early then. Yeah, in theory. (laughs) I have a lot to do for the final papers, but it's fine. I can get it done. We are thriving. I mean, aren't we always thriving? Um, I would beg to differ. (laughs) And by thriving, I mean I might be getting a cold again and also it's raining. (laughs) Yeah, Quinn's immune system is not really too pleased with her right now. I'm doing my best. (laughs) There is an effort being shown. You know who I'm doing better than, though? Oh, who, Quinn? Check that transition. (laughs) Um, the President of the United States? Uh, aren't we always, though? Dear, dear God. Um, but yeah, so we're hitting Trump's first hundred days right now. Um, which is a very arbitrary measure of success, but it is a thing that people pay attention to. And they like to evaluate how much has the president gotten done in the first hundred days. Spoiler alert, not super much. Yeah, so he had a lot planned for his 100 days. Um, not much of it has gotten done. He wanted to get rid of Obamacare and like redesign the entire healthcare system, but alas, that did not work. That was maybe one of the biggest failures. Failures. I believe the quote was, I didn't know that <laughs> healthcare was this complicated. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> um, yeah, but obviously his supporters are still saying that he's doing a good job, and so he still has that really strong base. Yes, only something like 2% of Trump voters say that they regret their vote at this point, which means that even though he's a very unpopular president by the like, standards of the entire nation, um, He's still very popular with his base, which means that congressional Republicans aren't going to turn against him because they need his base in order to get reelected. And so we are just going to see this continue until his base turns against him, basically. Oh, gotta love partisanship. No. Okay. (laughs) I don't love partisanship at all. I know. I know. Another big thing on Trump's agenda was to cut taxes. And which he is planning to do literally this week. Um, but it's a little counterintuitive, counterintuitive since his other really big thing was to build a giant wall, which also needs taxes. So if this spending continues, <laughs> this will not be great because if taxes are lower, obviously less government revenue and then thus less money, you know, to build said wall. So yeah, Trump needs to needs to get on that, I guess. Yeah, it's getting to be really confusing because we've seen that Trump really doesn't have governmental know-how on anything. Like, there's been many quotes that you can pull out from the past hundred days where he's like, oh, I didn't know the relationship between China and Korea was this complicated. I didn't know this about NATO or the European (laughs) Union or whatever else Angela Merkel had to explain to him. Um, But I just really thought that he'd be able to grasp the concept of things cost money. And if you have less money than you need to spend, you go into debt. Like, he is supposedly, this is what he's good at. And yet. (laughs) So, basically, what he wants to do is to address the corporate tax rate. Um, The corporate tax rate is basically the tax that companies 
um, have to pay, you know, at the end of the year when they are counting all their profits and losses. And so right now the corporate tax rate is 35% and Trump wants to cut that down to 15%, which is a huge jump um, and would be really, really great economically for investors. So Wall Street is very happy right now. Um, the thing is, it's such a large jump that I don't think it will pass. Um, but I also think that he's is purposely going with a lower number so that he'll get some lower number in between that. So I think experts are saying between 22 and 28% instead of the 35%. Yeah, and this brings up a very interesting thing about his whole presidency is because he very much ran on a populist message and, like, get rid of Wall Street and get rid of the elites and all of these kinds of things and drain the swamp and all that. But he really hasn't done any of that. Um... He's very much put big billionaires in his cabinet. I mean, of the positions that he's actually filled. That's another thing is he hasn't nominated people for like 500 positions that he needs to, which is a little ridiculous. But anyway, um, and here he is like wanting to drastically slash the corporate tax rate. And this is very much like big business Republican stuff, um, which is interesting because not particularly surprising considering we haven't seen a lot of evidence that Trump has any actual ideology that he follows as a person but I would have thought that some of his populist campaigning message might have come out in his governing especially since while Steve Bannon has fallen out of favor is still around in the White House and was doing very successful for the first bit of his presidency but we haven't seen any of the influence really come out at all Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to say, uh, just say something to your, um, what you previous previously said about Trump draining the swamp. I think what his message was, he wanted to drain the swamp of politicians. And yes, he's putting a lot of billionaires in his cabinet, but they're people of business. So they're like finance people and people who've run companies. Um, and I think his whole message was that he didn't want people in office who were politicians who didn't have like former experience in something else, I think was his main, main goal. Yeah, but he also positioned himself very much against Hillary Clinton as a Wall Street person, Um, and he very much used the fact that she had done speeches for Wall Street against her when he was campaigning and and tried to separate out the two of them to be like, I'm not in Wall Street's pocket um, the way that she is, was his message, but we haven't seen that follow through at all. I mean, he never really, like spoke on behalf of Wall Street. And I think he was just mad that all these companies were backing Hillary and it was, like, very intertwined. Um, but, no, I, I I guess I see where you're coming from, but I think it's just slightly different. Yeah, I guess I would just still describe his current um, administration as fairly swampy. Yeah, I guess. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically he wants to cut the tax rate, um, and Quinn was right, like, unless he also cuts spending, we're going to be in huge debt um, because the lower taxes will literally cause the government to shut down, um, which isn't a big deal to me because libertarianism and I oh think the God. government is too big to begin with. But other people are concerned about this. <laughs> we do still need the government, Jillian. <laughs> oh, okay, well... <laughs> Um, is this an agree to disagree moment? <laughs> this is an agree to disagree moment. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, so proponent, proponents of a high uh, corporate tax rate, the argument is basically that having a corporate in- income tax will make the tax system more progressive and then differentiate, you know, um, the tax more. So 
it's so essentially it'll even out the distribution, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but there are so many distortions with that because the high corporate tax rate drives cor- corporation overseas. So that's why Trump wants to lower the tax to incentivize people to make their company headquarters in the United States, um, which I guess is sort of part of his populist populist message. Um, and there are also a lot of negatives of the corporate income tax. It reduces the incentive to save. And then you're essentially taxing people twice um, because the dividend income received by people who own stocks and the capital gains earned by people who own the stock get taxed by the individual tax as well. Um, so it incentivizes corporations to take tax avoidance measures rather than just maximize profits. My libertarian professor said, if you can't shake hands with it, you can't pay taxes. And so basically what he's saying is the corporations, <laughs> the corporations themselves don't pay taxes. They're paid by the people who own the corporations. I think there's this idea that, oh, corporations can have a high income, have corporations can have a high tax because it's like the corporations, they're huge. And then we have this idea that it's just like the corporations paying the tax and it doesn't really matter to them, but it's really like the people and the corporations. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like, of course taxes do come from people who owned things mm-hmm. like there there is no inanimate ephemeral mm-hmm. idea that pays taxes yeah so he wants to lower that which i'm kind of happy with but that's just me i mean unsurprisingly i'm not super happy about that idea um first of all just back to the whole like very basic math concept of you can't try to have all of this spending and not cut spending and also lower taxes like something has to go um so I don't really know where that's gonna work but also I think this is a point that um I heard I don't remember where I heard it and I may have already quoted this on the podcast before but it really resonated with me is that the whole concept of like taxation isn't fair and life isn't fair but I'd much rather have like in the, in the case of taxation and these other ideas, like, I'd much rather, like, billion-dollar corporations suffer than the family that's living in their car. And so I think that money has to come from somewhere, and we do have to have a functional government. And I would rather that money came from corporations and the people who work and own these corporations than, like, people who are struggling to make ends meet. I just would. But they're paying more on an absolute value. You know, so say we had a flat tax that's like, even if we had a flat tax of 50%, like companies, people would still be paying like half their income. And then the absolute value of those billionaires would be a lot more than the people who are living out of their car. But it's just like, I don't understand why we have to differentiate and why there has to be so many levels. Wait, so you're saying you just want a flat tax? Yes. A flat tax of what? What do you mean? Like, like income what, or? Like, what rate do you want your flat tax of? Ideally, like, if it was everybody and everybody had to pay this, like, I would say 30-40%. Well, my question is why could it, why is it wrong to, like, have people who earn more money and can afford to pay more in taxes, pay more in taxes than the people who, like, their, their income is so much smaller, so every percentage of their income matters so much more to them. Well, it disincentivizes people, I think, to... I mean, it's like, well, why should I work hard and why should I make all of this money just to get taxed more, you know? 
I know everyone gives CEOs a hard time because CEO, they're like, well, CEOs should have to pay, like, they're making billions of dollars, blah, 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 it doesn't matter for them. But, like, the thing is, like, they still worked hard, like, they just didn't waltz up to the CEO position and was like, hey, like, here's a check for five million dollars. Um, they still had to work hard their entire lives, and I just don't think it's fair for them to actually have to pay, like, they're being punished for their hard work, is how I feel about it. Just oh. on principle. Okay, well... But, like, do you think that someone who exampled is, like, a CNA in a hospital and is doing backbreaking labor for 12 hours a day isn't also working hard? No, they are. But I don't understand, it's, I don't understand why the person who, the CEO has to give more, a a larger percentage of his paycheck than the other person. Because he's making millions of dollars. But on principle, like, why, like, that doesn't make sense philosophically. Like, I understand from an economic sense sense that, oh, yeah, like, yeah, the government needs money. We should just take more from the people who have it. But, like, on principle, I just don't think that's right. Like, I guess my point is I don't think the CEO is working 10 million times harder than the CNA. Like, I don't think that math tracks at all. I don't think we can measure how hard people work. But, like, that's... Well, I mean, there is, like, occasional exceptions to this, as we all know. But, like, yeah, like, yeah, people who are in CEO positions, that's an incredibly stressful job. Like, they're working hard. They're being handsomely compensated for it. And, yes, there is the point of disincentivizing people to make more money, especially when you live on the line of a tax bracket and, like, making slightly more money will actually earn you less in the long run because you switch into a new tax bracket like that's terrible yeah that should not happen and that's really unfortunate but like i think that that is as we are now like an unavoidable side effect of a tax system that we have and i do think that it is more fair than having a flat tax for everyone okay i can we can just agree to disagree on this now people in the administration are saying that the wall is a metaphor for harsh border security and i'm like at what point did it become a metaphor i mean i kind of it's better as a metaphor but he did not that is not what he said on this campaign oh it's definitely better as a metaphor because the physical manifestation of it would be very dumb um as we've extensively covered already but i think it could could they just fulfill like one thing yeah I understand it would be, it's such a better metaphor, but he definitely wasn't running on that because he can't, he can't make, as I, and the quotes, he can't make Mexico pay for a metaphor, you know, like, this was not, Trump's administration might be saying this now, but that was not the case a few months ago. Mexico will pay for the metaphor. (laughs) So last weekend, we had another, yet another, um, widespread march slash protest and this one was for science um so it was kind of like the women's march although on a smaller scale um and that it happened all over the country um and people showed up and made signs related to do with science and bill nye was speaking somewhere and that was really cute um and the whole idea was to come out in support of um science and especially the epa which has definitely been under attack um and under questionable leadership in the trump administration um as well as pushing for better climate change policy um which trump does although like hasn't been able to dismantle yet but he still is clearly not prioritizing or perhaps even like going in the opposite direction of trying to help climate change and so people who disagree with that were like hey let's have a march and support funding for science 
I do appreciate the one of the cheers, which was, what do we want? Science! When do we want it? After peer review! <laughs> Yay, peer review. <laughs> oh, man. God, I hate peer review. <laughs> peer review is so stressful. <laughs> yeah, um, so... Like all things, um, there was a thing, and then there were many hot takes on the internet about why thing is actually bad. Mm-hmm. Um, here we are to add our own hot takes. <laughs> okay, Quinn, you go. You, what's your hot take on this? So I'm going to stop saying hot take, but okay. um, there really was something about this whole concept of the Marx for Science that was kind of bothering me. Um, and I read an article in Slate, which will be in the show notes, and I think that it kind of got at some of what I was thinking was just the whole nebulous concept of what this march was um and i mean that's the same as the women's march like what does that mean um but that was more i think more of just like a very striking statement Mm -hmm. um and because it was so large like that statement was pulled off well whereas when you're marching for science like what do you mean by that Mm -hmm. um and i just science is like really huge and vague um and it can mean different things and So while I do support, like, science as a concept and, like, doing research and staying curious about the world and, like, continuing to explore and having educational funding and, like, all of these things, I just feel like there wasn't a lot of particular clear message that came from the march about what to do to help, quote-unquote, science. Um, And now people may have had different experiences as these marches, but as someone, like, looking at it from the outside, because I didn't go to any of them, I'm like, I didn't get any clear message, and I think that's a problem. Yeah, Quinn, I agree with you on that. I also did not go to these marches, so I can't say that, um, I can't really talk about any firsthand experiences, but, you know, as someone who's looking at this from the outside, it does seem that this whole the whole concept or the whole meaning behind this was just very vague, because it was like, yeah, like, funding for science science is great um but in one of the articles that we'll link uh there's this whole argument that science people like science but when it supports your own views you know so like people have definitely used science to back their political um political philosophies oh absolutely on both sides (laughs) yeah both sides are guilty of this yeah it's like i have such a problem with like liberal people who are like so excited about science but then they think gmos are evil and going to kill them and i'm like what are you doing like you need to pick a side like either you support science and the scientific method and you're going to like do your own research and figure stuff out for yourself or you're just like falling into um conspiracy theories on whichever side of the political spectrum that you're on like Mm -hmm. you can't have it both ways yeah like the reason chipotle had that whole like food scandal was because they were using all natural products and they did not they were not using like gmo based whatever um so yeah oh and just a disclaimer like there are like significant issues in terms of like big business gmos and like monsanto and like how that stuff goes down that is different from the concept of having genetically modified mm-hmm. organisms, which are fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Also not the topic for today, but just had to make that <laughs> point. Yeah, so also, I mean, obviously on more more of a larger scale, like the whole um, climate change, global warming argument. Okay, yes, like we're polluting the world. We get that. Um, but I think that 
liberals do get on Republicans' case because they're like, yeah, Republicans, like, you don't believe in science. Like, this is real. Like, climate change is real. And, like, there's data to support that. And then they'll just, like, throw that at Republicans' faces. And Republicans will be like, okay, yeah, but there's also data. There's less data of it, but there's also data showing that this is normal, you know? So it's... What? You cannot look at me like that. No, finish your point. <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm saying, like, we mostly go with what, like, the majority is, right? Like, if more studies are saying that this is bad, we should stop something. Like, that's going to be the more widely accepted opinion. No, widely accepted... No, not opinion, because we are damaging the earth. But what I'm saying is, I think a lot of Republicans' argument is that, yes, all the data does show that we've had extremely high temperatures in the past, what, decade even. Like, these really... this These sharp increases. Um just because, you know, we are polluting the world and things like that. But they also say, like, years ago, people thought we were going through a stage of global cooling and maybe, like, the Earth is just going through these cycles. And yes, while the data does show global warming, like, was anybody here 2,000 years ago to see what else was happening, you know? And that's their argument. It's not that they don't believe that the... They don't, be, they don't think that liberals are just, like, making up data, you know? But I think that's like, comes across as, like... What is that? I always find an argument interesting because it's like, oh, so if for some reason, like, all of this data is wrong and humans aren't contributing to global warming, all we've done is make all our air and water cleaner. Like, what a shame. Well, we've also, you know, like, spent so much money on this. Um, and, like, just priorities. Like, I talked about this on an earlier episode, how um, the United States had to cut, yeah, uh, carbon tax, they had to cut down uh, carbon emissions, um, and so Obama like passed all of that like regulation, and so companies had to, like, there would be tax, and they could only emit a certain level of carbon, um, but it didn't, it wasn't going to make a difference unless, you know, India and China also got on that, but that's out of our reign, so that obviously wasn't going to happen, so he was passing all of these regulations and taxing all these companies for barely any difference in the state of our atmosphere. And again, with this point, is like, yes, there are economic priorities to be balanced with environmental priorities, and there are, like, significant short-term consequences, but also, like, we need a planet to live on, and, like, the way that we're going is not looking great if we don't make significant changes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we keep getting very sidetracked, um, but... Yeah, so the point is that there are lots of debates to be had about scientific data. There's also, like, people who don't believe in vaccines and, like, what are you even doing? Stop. Get vaccinated. Anyway. (laughs) And my argument is um, if you don't want to get vaccinated, that's fine, but live on an island and do not bring your kids near me. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, so our whole point about this was that this idea of science and marching for science is still, like, is great in theory, but it is kind of vague. Like, what are we trying to show by doing this? And also, this idea that science, I think, proves things. Like, if you have a research paper and your piece value is significant, like, that's still... Like, yes, your results are significant, and maybe that means something, but on the on the grand scheme of things, like... We can't prove anything in science. Like, we can only have tons of data to back it up and have, like, very close, very strong, like, indications of what's going on. Um, But there's always caveats. And the thing with science is, like, it's constantly changing, right? Like, eggs one year are really, really good, and but then another year they're bad and they'll give you high cholesterol. Like, 
we we also just found like a new organ in a human body like science is constantly changing um and so i do think that both political parties are guilty of using science to their advantage or dis or disadvantage um, when it works for them i will i will take an issue with one thing that you said there which is the idea that science is changing science isn't changing like the the like scientific consensus okay yeah that's of fair. the public changes a mm-hmm. lot um but like science in itself is a field that builds on itself constantly and so it's not that like things are changing it's that more research comes to light or something it's just proved that we thought was true before um but it's not like like the rules of the natural universe are changing no yes yeah yeah quinn that's a really good clarification there's still gravity people <laughs> we cannot change that <laughs> uh, yeah um and also, like, from, I've never done um, research in the natural sciences, but I have done research in the social sciences, um, which works, like, in a very similar way just for different subjects. And I can tell you, like, from my experience is how it works is you spend, like, months doing a very particular kind of research on a very, very specific thing. And then if you, and depending on what results you get, you get to add, like, one grain of knowledge to the understanding of like that particular field in like a subset of a subset of a field um and that's like how knowledge gets built in academia over the years it's like people adding these grains over and over and over again yeah i think what we're trying to say is that we appreciate science and we love science but having a march for it for trying to make something that is very ab- abstract and very vague and covers a broad variety of topics trying to we don't, we're not getting anything concrete from that, I think, is, at least that's how I'm interpreting what you're trying to say. Yeah, so, like, absolutely, like, go to this march, or, or, like, it already happened, but you know what I mean, like, support it publicly, and, like, make your signs or whatever, but also, like, show up for funding sessions, and then actually support, like, local universities who do this work, and most importantly, like, make a point of being scientifically literate and educated in your own life, and, like, when you see a headline that says, like, some study proved this like actually read you don't have to read the whole study like read the abstract of the study because the abstract of the study will tell you what actually happened and not that like I actually did a project on this on my research over the summer is the way that headlines will be like almonds increase your lifespan when the actual study says like um participants who ate almonds under this and this condition found to have better heart rate under this and this condition or something like that yeah it's like very very specific very very nuanced and i had a teacher who told me that if the results of a study aren't significant to not put the results in the abstract because then people don't read your paper and i was like okay i don't think that's right Uh, also, I mean, the scientific community in itself, there's so many issues with peer review and studies having to be recalled because they weren't found to be, um, rigorous or accurate, and that's a whole problem in itself, but that's not something that we as lay people can solve. hmm Yeah. So, we love science, um, and we, this is just like, yay, we hope everyone loves science, but this is just our take on, you know, um... That whatever you read in the scientific literature, or like whenever you see a headline that's very broad, like, ah, almonds increase your lifespan, or listening to rap music increases your blah, 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 like just read between the lines, look carefully, and always, you know, look at other sources. Another topic that's extremely relevant right now is the fact that Arkansas actually executed um, two inmates the other day, so which is a first for any state um, since 2000. So yes, there have been... Um, executions of the death penalty, but never two in one day from the same state. 
Yeah, and this is the whole thing that, um, like, Arkansas is trying to execute a bunch of people as quickly as possible right now, is that... Mm -hmm. The science behind that is basically, um, a lot of Europe is very against the death penalty, um, but the drug that is used in the death penalty is from Europe, um, but then that Europe found out that Americans were using it to kill people. And so they were like, no, we're not selling it to you anymore. And so um, Arkansas is trying to like use all of it up before it expires because it expires like in May or something like that. Can we just agree, first of all, that the whole concept is really sick of like just trying to execute as many people as possible? Yeah, I know. Oh my God. Yeah. Sorry, that's just disturbing on a fundamental level. Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously... (laughs) They're not wording it like that. It's just like, increased efficiency and blah, 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 but... So this just brings up a lot of questions about the death penalty and how Europe is, um, like, Europe and the United States are on two very different levels or have different theories when it comes to this. Actually, like, I think it's Norway where the max you can get in prison is, like, 20 years and there's obviously no death penalty. Wow. Yeah. Norway is a very interesting place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I want to, it's, what's, it's, this is very interesting and also still very disturbing on a lot of different levels, but Quinn, I was curious, like, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, and the whole concept of the death penalty overall, um, it's not a topic that I've thought about a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for a couple of different reasons, I don't support the use of the death penalty, mm-hmm. um. Actually, I have this very particular memory of me when I was, like, 12 years old talking to my grandmother um, about the death penalty. I don't know why. Um, And she said that she doesn't support the death penalty because it costs more. And I was like, seems legit to me Um, (laughs) as a 12-year-old. And But also, that that is, like, one important point um, is that it does, like, cost more. Um, And also, I just feel like beyond any... questions of morality and like do we as people like should we as like people and the government have the right to take someone's life um the fact that so many people have been exonerated um with like new dna evidence and um have found out that like they did not actually commit these crimes and were taken off of death row like i just can't support um killing someone for a crime that they may not have committed Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you make a really good point. And also, the fact that ugh, this is such a misconception that, oh yeah, like, we should have the death penalty because it's cheaper. Okay, in a vacuum, yes. You, um, if you obviously kill someone, you don't have to pay for, you know, their life in prison, and that's cheaper. But the way our system works is so much more complicated than that, that, death pe- that um, having the death penalty actually raises costs. So, um... A lot of Republicans argue that, oh, why should we not have the death penalty? Because I don't want my tax dollars paying for the upkeep of a criminal. Um, False, because the trials, death penalty trials, are so much more expensive because you have to hire a special lawyer who has, like, a certificate um, in, like, death penalty. Um, That's so weird. Like, oh, I have a certificate. Okay, anyways, sorry. Um, That is a very weird piece on your resume, yeah. Yeah. The prisoner is kept on death row, which on average costs 90 grand a year as opposed to the general population prison, which costs 29,000 a year. And these people are also, like, on death row for a while. Like, these cases do not happen overnight. 
So yeah, the death penalty would be cheaper and more efficient if we did not have the complicated court system that we do have, but alas, the court system cannot be changed that easily. Like everything in our country, it is inefficient. Yeah, so if you want to talk about efficient costs, you can't use the death penalty is cheaper argument because it does not really have um, real life validity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's like one just really strong economic argument about this that I think is um, relatively less controversial Like when the, once the facts of the case are out there. But what do you think about it beyond the economic part? So I think I wrestled with this a little bit just from like, a moral standpoint because you know I am Catholic and there's this whole religion aspect and the this as you were saying before this idea that the government can just take someone's life away um, but now that I'm thinking about it, I honestly feel like I'm against the death penalty not because well not only because of the economic costs um, and not because I value human life per se okay well I, I do value human life but that's not the reason I you know what I mean, okay? Anyways, I just think, like, living is harder, and I think this, um, I mean, yeah, like, there's shame and guilt or whatever, but at the end of the day, like, you don't have to deal with it anymore, and as opposed to, you know, life in prison, where you have to, like, wake up every morning in a cell, you know, and it's just a lot, um, well, actually, I've never been in prison, so I can't say if it's, like, hard, but that's I would argument. assume that it's hard. Yeah, so my argument is that, um, I think life is harder than death. Mm -hmm. And it's also interesting because these are cases, I mean, we've talked about like the overpopulation of prisons before, but this is in, in particular case of people who have committed horrible, violent crimes is what would get someone on death row in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to consider someone's humanity in that case, mm -hmm. um, which is why, like, if you're connected to a case, you're not allowed to serve on the jury or be involved in that case at all of course um because like if someone hurt someone close to me like <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god but trying to back away from that aspect I mean that person is still a person they can be a horrible person um but there's still always that question of like do we have the right to take away the life of a human being and yeah not only that question that you know the the crux of the argument but also like logistically like how because these meta these lethal injections don't always work 100 percent of the time and it's supposed to be the most humane but like if the person who's doing this like misses a vein or something they have to like redo it and then it's just like drags out the pro draws out the process um so there i think there are more humane ways of doing this but they're not generally accepted like I think, I think studies show that the guillotine is actually the most technically humane because you feel no pain at all because it literally just severs your spinal cord. But obviously that has such bad connotations. France has one revolution and like everything, you know what, it's fine, whatever. So we can't guillotine people anymore. Yeah, and it's also the, the whole thing is like people just don't want to see that. Like that just seems so viscerally gross um, to the human mind. Is it guillotine or guillotine? Oh, I, I say guillotine, but that's probably not the French way. I thought it was guillotine. I'm going to say guillotine. I don't know. Now I'm questioning myself. Um, probably, that makes sense because I don't think in French, yeah, I, whatever. I'm going to say know. guillotine. It's fine. It's fine. I don't, I don't care. Um, you know what we mean. Yeah. Um, but even if technically like guillotine is the more humane way to kill someone, like people don't want to see that. People don't want to feel responsible for that. And so an injection feels more humane, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Humans are very irrational. No. Really, Quinn? <laughs> Okay, 
calm down. <laughs> yeah, this is why, like, people make fun of me when I study economics, because all of economic theory rests on the assumption that humans are rational, and that everyone is has all of this access to information, and it's just like, mm, I like to push back on that. That is false 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of my best friends actually said that, I feel like economics is the study of an animal, but the animal doesn't exist. <laughs> and I was like, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> Honestly, that's a good point. <laughs> so yeah, those are our thoughts. Yeah, death penalty. Serious stuff. Still feel really sick about this concept of what's going on in Arkansas right now, but I really can't do anything about it as I don't live in Arkansas and I'm not in the court system or have governmental power in any way. Yeah, and also while having this conversation, I just want to say that we have been very glib and we're not trying to like gloss over like the seriousness of this issue. Um, but I think if we did adopt such a serious tone, we would be a very different type of podcast. Yeah. I think that people who listen to this show know that we treat almost everything like this. Yeah, um, And it doesn't mean that we're not taking it seriously. This week we have another review question, and this one was very serious. Mm-hmm. Um but we came up with some answers for it. And so basically the question was for me as a Democrat, like what problems do I see in like the Democrat slash left wing community? And for Jillian, what problems does she see in like the libertarian Republican community? Mm-hmm. And like, what would we change? Mm-hmm. Paraphrasing there, but yeah. So for me, I think in the libertarian community, well, I'm going to start with the libertarian community because I know that there are a lot of problems within the Republican community. Um, is this idea of complacency because like the libertarians aren't you know one of the main parties um, and we do not we don't have like you know the level of goals that the other two parties have because we, we physically can't accomplish those um, but I do think so I do think that this feeling of complacency and like realizing that we're never going to be you know one of the main parties is sort of an issue that we have to uh, wrestle with within the community Um, But I think that there has been some effort to reach out to the younger population, which is, like, I think a nice happy medium. It's, like, another option between being Democrat or being Republican. Um, Ideally, I would like the Libertarians to just, like, infiltrate the Republicans and sort of just, like, make the Republicans more socially progressive and then just become a new, better Republican Party. But I do not foresee that happening. I would support that. (laughs) Like, I know, like, we disagree on, like, some social stuff, but, like... On the whole, like, I think it's... Yeah, as far as social issues go, we're very much um, on the same page for most of it. It's, like, economic issues where we differ, which but is... But the, the parties are supposed to have differences anyway, so that can yeah, be the difference. that's fine. I, I support this. I would rather fight over how much tax I have to pay than have to fight over natural rights and, like, watching people marry whoever they want. Like, I think fighting over taxes makes more sense. Yeah. Than granting people, you know, just liberties to just be people. To live. You know, yeah, it's the small things. As far as issues in uh, the Democrats, um, there are a lot. One, we lose all the time. I'd love to fix that. Um, okay, you had the White House for like a long time. Okay, okay, okay only like eight years, but still. Eight, but that's the point. It's like Obama was great and he was super popular, um, but also he's like the only popular Democrat. Yeah, he was, like, he's a very popular president, but he did not have a, gr- like, people didn't like the administration. 
Yeah. Is more the gist, I think. There's a lot of issues. There's a line from the newsroom and from that very famous speech that you've probably all seen shared on Facebook. But anyway, the newsroom is one of my favorite shows. And in that um, ranty speech that he does about America, he was like, "Why, if, if Democrats are so smart, why do you lose so goddamn always? And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> anyway, okay. So yeah, the fact that we lose all the time, I would love to fix. Um... But also in terms of more recent things, like definitely you see the rift between like the Hillary supporters and the Bernie supporters, which is ridiculous at this point because both of them lost. Like, calm down. Mm -hmm. Um, This really needs to be a time for party unity, not this ridiculousness. Um, And also just also Bernie Sanders, like, what are you doing? Bernie Sanders basically recently said that, like, reproductive rights are a secondary thing to worry about. And he endorsed a pro-life candidate. Um, and I'm kind of like, why are these issues, like, seen as secondary to Bernie Sanders, who is, like, one of the leading faces of the Democratic Party? Like, and I feel like, in general, um, concerns of that specifically pertain, um, to women and people of color and, like, LGBTQ class, um, are often delegated as identity politics, as opposed to, like, the real, like, front and center issues which i think is ridiculous anyway i have a lot of problems <laughs> i like bernie sanders actually economically I... he goes everything against everything i believe in but i actually really liked okay first of all his motto was so catchy like hashtag feel the burn like i thought that was clever i like some things about bernie sanders but overall i'm pretty displeased with him mm-hmm. for a lot That's of different fair. reasons yeah um and, like, you all know I supported Hillary um, in the primary and in the election, and in the general election, obviously. Um, <laughs> surprise. But I feel like how Bernie has acted, even, like, since the general election, has made me more and more annoyed with him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I what I would love to see is, like, more fresh faces coming to the front of the Democratic Party energizing the base in a more significant way and pulling together party unity in a way that I don't think we're really seeing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a lot of issues. <laughs> um, so now on to our pop culture segment. Um, I just want to touch on this really, really fast, but basically what everyone is talking about right now is these unretouched photos of Kim Kardashian, like on the beach with her friends um, and her family for her sister Courtney's 38th birthday celebration. Um, and basically all these pictures came out of Kim Kardashian, I think looking like super hot, whatever, in a bikini on the beach, but it was so like crucial to just like this movement of body positivity, um, because, you know, Kim Kardashian, like 99% of women has cellulite. And this is just so different from what we've seen, you know, on her Instagram or on her photo shoots where like everything's retouched and everything looks perfect. Um, and of course this was such, you know, to her, like, to her, this was very, very smart. Like, she knew what was going to happen, and she knew that this is what she wanted, because this has got given her so much positive press, because people are sick of looking at, you know, perfect bodies, well, society's definition of perfect bodies um, on Instagram, and the fact that Kim Kardashian, you know, who is, like, known for having the body, also, you know, is human and has these imperfections, is just super comforting. Yeah, cool. Okay, also, into more interest. I just wanted to throw that out there. Anyways, what we really want to talk about is the n- release of the movie Fifty Shades Darker. <laughs> okay, what? <laughs> I have not seen those. Okay, well, I have it if you want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the first one. Oh, 
Quinn. Come on. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry that I'm not up in my, like, Fifty Shades pop culture knowledge. Oh, it's fine, I guess. <laughs> so Fifty Shades Darker um, came out, like, you can stream it on iTunes or you can well, buy it on iTunes, or you can buy it on Amazon. And this podcast brought to you by Fifty Shades Darker. <laughs> that is a joke. <laughs> oh my god, that would be so funny. Can you even imagine? <laughs> We're not sponsored by Fifty Shades, although that would be hilarious. <laughs> we are open. <laughs> um, I just think that, I don't want to like give any movie spoilers, but no, I thought- Spoilers. Spoilers. Well, we all know what happens. Um, basically, I think that there was a lot- like, I thought it was much better acting in this movie, um, but I think I liked the first movie more because there's more drama, you know, because it's like they first met, like blah blah blah, and then this movie it's like, oh, like they're together and like, you know, boring stuff. All I know about this movie is that Roxane Gay just watched it and she was tweeting about it and she did not like it at all. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, first of all, Roxane Gay, who is a writer and is my favorite writer, is an absolutely stupendous follow on Twitter. She's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was very displeased with this movie, which I thought was very funny. Like, which aspects was she not happy with? Oh, she just thought it was awful. (laughs) A lot of the movie was not as exciting as the first one because there wasn't as much, I think, plot development. So yes, I thought it was more boring. Are these typically a very plot-driven series? Yes, actually. Like, if you take out, you know... Okay, fine. Granted, the series would be in one book then, but if you took out, like, all of the, the you know... steamy bits. The steamy bits. <laughs> there actually is, like, a solid plot behind it. The but... plot of Twilight, per se, would you say? <laughs> I would say. Fan fiction is real. This is... Fan fiction can make you famous. Apparently. I support fan fiction. I do support fan fiction. Not because of Fifty Shades of Grey, just because I support fan fiction. Oh my goodness. I was supposed to study for a final last semester, but instead I found myself reading Harry Potter fan fiction for four hours. Incredible. I got lost in the deepest corners of the internet in our school library, but I have no regrets. I don't really read fan fiction too much, just because, like, I just ne- really never have. My sister reads fan fiction all the time. It's, like, her main, like, consumption of media now, which I think is so funny. She has all these tabs, on her like, bookmarks on her laptop that just say, like, FF for fan fiction, and she knows what all of them are, but she doesn't label them because she, like, I, I guess they're secret. Um, <laughs> maybe she just doesn't want judgment, which is fair. But, yeah, no, I think... It's so funny because we think of fan fiction as this thing that's, you know, just very recently with, like, the rise of the internet, um, stuff like that, but fan fiction, if it, it hasn't been called fan fiction, but it's been around forever. I mean, even William Shakespeare took stories that were already, you know, sort of in the times and then just, like, adapted it made it better and, like, where he is. Well, he's dead right now, but his legacy lives on forever. Spoiler alert, Shakespeare is dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm fully in support of fan fiction. I mean, the, we could have, like, Fifty Shades discourse, but there is enough Fifty Shades discourse out there, I promise. Um, and yeah, like, it does have a lot of issues with the way it portrays relationships. You can look those articles up for yourself. Um, but just in general, I just like seeing people succeed and stuff from the internet succeed. I think it's cool. It is. It is. And I think that's going to be it for today. Um, thank you for listening. You can find us on Twitter at MixedFeelingsFM, where you can tweet at us or send us a DM. You can also find us at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings or in the iTunes store. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. 
Thanks for talking with me, Jillian. Thanks for talking to me, Quinn. I'm Quinn Rose. I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our mixed feelings. <laughs>